Again, Father, we come to you today with a humble heart, realizing that in that humility we have great need of strength from you. We've already received from you a, a tremendous salvation, an eternal salvation, a complete salvation, a washing of the sins away and a parting of them as far as the east is from the west. And yet, Father, uh, this week we need to be reminded again that we are your children and that you have not only done for us eternally what must, must be done, but you are doing for us daily what we need to be able to live in light of those eternal realities that you have given to us. And so again, we ask that our, our minds would be alert to the things you want to say, how easily we are diverted into things, other things, that uh, take away from us the need to stay alert to what is around us, that we would not be consumed or, or drawn aside by useless things. And worse, that we'd be, we would be drawn away by sinful things. And so help us to see this 11th chapter as you have given it to us. Great encouragement in this cloud of witnesses, as, as chapter 12 says. This great cloud of so many witnesses who have gone on to live in faith, enduring as you called them to do. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us enlightenment and we'd be encouraged by their life that we too might walk in our own life in light of the same faith that you called them to walk in. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw last week uh, that the, the, the conclusion to chapter 10 was really quite, I don't want to use the word abrupt or, or stark, but definitive. That having come to all of this understanding now in 10 chapters, taking 10 chapters to meticulously unwind why Jesus is so much more superior and therefore trustable, why the promise of God in Jesus Christ is so much more superior and trustable, why God himself has made such a strong vow, a promise in his son, and that this is now ushered in a fulfillment of the Old Testament in order that we might have the full participation in a new covenant with God, the covenant of grace, the covenant of mercy, the covenant of having been paid for, of having all the sins atoned for, of having the blood of Jesus Christ poured out over the mercy seat where our blood, our sins sit, and, and all of that is paid for, and our bodies washed clean, that having been sanctified, we are being sanctified. So having been sanctified eternally with God, our standing in perfection with Him because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are in our bodies until we die being perfected to look like Jesus Christ. That having realized all of this now and coming to those two, two rather challenging uh, statements in the end of chapter 10 that we have to endure because you have need of endurance. So that when you have done everything that God designed for you to do, done the will of God for you, you're going to receive what God promised. And yet a little while he'll come. How long will that be? God knows. But in a final epic of church, or in a final epic of grace, there's a great need for those who are truly followers of Jesus Christ, or we could also add 
instruments of grace, there's a great need for those to live in light of that grace on a daily basis, to be, to be consistent with the life that they're living, and to demonstrate that they are understanding how God wants them to walk and to walk in that in such a way that others see His graciousness and goodness and they are either drawn to Him or they are finalized in their judgment. So we must endure, stay, un stay the course, stay under the calling. And second, because of that, and because there's no roadmap, and you can't pull out a roadmap here and say, yeah, God said this, not a problem, I understand it, got it all figured out. Um, there's no roadmap that we pull out. The roadmap is, 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 is demonstrated to us daily by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He has beforehand ordained that we should walk in them. And the walking in them is the role of the Holy Spirit in us using the Word of God and the experience that we have on a daily basis to demonstrate to us on each day, based upon what we know is the revealed desires of God, to do in our lives the things that most express that as we encounter 24 hours a day and seven days a week. So we have to live by faith. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And so we come to chapter 11, and uh, it's an exciting chapter, and, and I really... We could look at every one of the individuals, and there is great benefit in doing that. But I'm not going to do that. What I want to do is just sort of take the whole chapter and pull out of it the things, the characteristics, the, uh, the categories that each one of these people represent. I see ten specific things that are being said through the lives of the people who are talked about here in chapter 11. And then I, I see one conclusion, we'll get to that, and all of that has begun with the challenge that came out of chapter 10, that, you know, you got my righteous people, they'll live by faith, that, that I haven't planned it any other way. I, I haven't planned that you're going to do it by my constant presence in terms of a roadmap. Uh, I'm not going to be there constantly telling you, do this, do this, do this, do this. You have the Word of God, you have the Spirit of God, and that Word of God, the Spirit of God is going to use to indicate to you, number one, what are the universals, the things that you know are definitive. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Don't be stingy. Live with your hands open. Say no to unrighteousness. Say no to, to adultery. I mean, there's definitiveness in the, in the Bible. Those are things that you know are wrong. Those are, you know that you, those are things you know off of which God wants you to do. But another things, you know, he says, you know, to, to share what we have. Well, the question becomes with who and where and how much. But on a daily basis, we know it's right, but we haven't got the specificity of it yet. And so the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. But you've got to walk by faith that He will meet you at that moment, that you will discover that thing for which God ordained that you should walk in. And the Holy Spirit will show you that. But that's only going to come if you're sensitive to the Spirit of God, and you're most sensitive to the Spirit of God when you are filled with the Word of God. And so in chapter 11, we want to see what it meant for those people to live by faith, because that's why it's here. My righteous people will live by faith. And the, this is a record of people who live by faith. But he begins the chapter by saying, 
giving to us, well, then what is faith? In chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain about what we do not see. And so what is faith? Well, it's two things. Number one, it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's not hope in hope. It's hope in a promise. And the promise is based on one who made the promise who can be trusted. And he made that promise all the way back in the beginning and has orchestrated biblical history and all of its revelations in such a way to move down the corridor of history constantly championing, forming, working, protecting, and ultimately presenting the, the fulfillment of that, of that promise in His Son, Jesus Christ. And will continue to work from the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection and His, right, His presence at the right hand of the Father. He'll continue to orchestrate history through the church in this epoch to demonstrate the power of that grace, giving greater definition to it because of the new covenant, and also taking it to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. He'll get it out everywhere. He won't expect that the nations will come and see it in a people in a place. He'll expect that the people will go to those places. And so we have an assurance of the things that, that we hope for because we understand the hope and the one who made the promise about the hope. And so ultimately the hope is backed up by the one who made the promise. And so faith is believing God that what He promised, He will do. And second, faith is the conviction about the things that we have not yet seen, the things that are come. Hope based upon those things that somewhat are, are, are historical because their promises have been made, definitive revelations been orchestrated through thousands of years of human history and the conviction about things not yet seen. Some of those things obviously we haven't seen in the past. We see pictures of them, prophecies, many, 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 many prophecies of the Old Testament having been fulfilled. But not all of them. Those are the things yet to see, the things coming for the end of time. So faith, believing God, about the things that we hope for because of what He promised and the things that we have not yet seen. And now, to demonstrate what that means, I think we could say that He presents to us a whole series of people in this 11th chapter, all of whom lived life differently, but lived it by faith, believing God. And so let me give you 10 things that present themselves, I think, in this chapter. This is not definitive. There could be more. You may find more. In fact, you might want to just go back and take a look at each individual because each individual has a fuller life than is expressed right here in this book. But in the book, we find, I think, some things that accentuate what faith actually looks like incarnationally to that specific individual. We're, as we're going to see later on in chapter 13, we're not to imitate the life of another person we're, we're to look at the life, measure its outcomes, and imitate the faith. And so here are some of the, the faith things. Number one, in chapter, chapter 11, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed of God at God's command so that what we see is not made out of what was visible. So faith is, in an in incarnational way, believing that God made the worlds. 
that believing that Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's a statement of reality. Now, it's not as much reality as a lot of people would like to have. It's not a complete statement about all of the scientific ramifications. It's not a complete statement about all the historical statements. It's not a, a complete a statement about all the physical realities, the archaeological realities. It is enough statement about what God did and why He did it in putting Adam and Eve in it for us to be able to say, I'll embrace that and believe Him. Now, God's not even making it for us to believe Him. No, He's putting a statement of Himself in it. I see the Bible, one way to look at the Bible is a biography. It's a biography of God. It's a biography about God, His greatness, His goodness, His glory, and even that's not comprehensive. We only know what He reveals to us, but we know enough about what He reveals to us to understand the immensity of His power, the intricacy of His genius, and then we see in, in, in the actions in the rest of the Bible the great, almost unexplicable, surprising thing that he who is judge has a right to judge takes upon himself his own judgment in his son Jesus Christ. Mercy. And so the first thing that faith does is it believes that God made the world and it has a purpose to it. That is not just evolving out of a burp. That God, the God who made it made it with intention and he formed it himself. So we believe that He made the worlds. Second, we believe that God bears witness that we are righteous. Verse 4, by faith Abel brought God a better sacrifice offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. That we can be righteous. That we were created for righteousness. And that even Abel, after the fall when given a choice to do something and get, make an offering to God, chose the righteous expression. Now, it isn't the Jesus Christ righteousness. It isn't the God complete righteousness. It isn't the righteousness that we're given in Jesus Christ. But it's a human righteousness that is demonstrated to believe God and to do what is right before God. We, we can make the right choices. Abel did. And he still speaks to us. So does Cain. Cain didn't. And God says to Cain, be careful. Sin is lurking at the door. And its desire is to dominate you. So we believe that He made the worlds. We believe that, that it's possible to bear witness that we can choose righteousness. Third, that we can be well-pleasing to God. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not ex experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Why? Because before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, in fact, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So one part of what Enoch says to us is that we can be well-pleasing to God. And without faith, you can't be. But in faith, you can be. In faith, you are designed to be. In faith, you are expected to be. In faith, you have been prepared to be. So faith tells us that we believe that He made the world. Faith tells that we can choose righteousness. Righteousness. 
Faith tells us that we can be pleasing to God. Faith tells us, I think, also in Enoch, that God rewards those who seek Him. Now, this is always a difficulty. Did He cause us to seek Him, or do we seek Him and then He reaches out to us? To me, it's incidental. Whether, whether one comes before the other, in eternity you'll figure that one out. But clearly, God's heart is for those who have a heart for Him. Whether He puts that heart there or they have just a tiny little inkling of it and they search it out, He is rewarding those who are seeking for Him. And, and I think that becomes true even more so, and I want to leave it there as being more definitive. That's even more so for those of us who have made confession in Jesus Christ. For those who, who have made confession in Jesus Christ and, and demonstrate months and years and decades of no sense of passion and searching, no love for the Word. And I don't mean love for the Word for theological intricacy. Love for the Word as an expression of the, love, the loving one who gave it. The ones who do not have a passion to, to know who He is and to, to, reveal, to reveal Himself greater to them in His Word and through His Word. To be obedient to Him. To understand that He is well pleased in our obedience. That He is well pleased in, in being more like Abel than Cain. That you wonder, those people, obviously, they don't seem to be seeking Him. But God rewards those who seek Him. And I think that's true even post-confession. And God is in the business of revealing Himself through His Word. And so as we expose ourselves to the Word with the indwelling Holy Spirit who speaks understanding to us, there is a sense of greater understanding of God and life and obviously eternity. So faith means that we believe that He made the worlds, that, that this is not here just by accident. Faith means that we are able to bear witness to righteousness, even more so now having been declared righteous in Jesus Christ and having a new nature upon which we can act in righteousness. And then third, we, are well, we can be well-pleasing to God. And then fourth, that He rewards those who seek Him. Fifth, that He condemned the world. He put, it in, he put us in the world and He made it, but ultimately, because of its sin, He condemns it. Verse 7, let me read that for you. For before He was taken, that is Enoch, He was commended by one who, as one who pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And Noah, verse 7, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world, becoming heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So we are ones who, when we follow Jesus Christ and we make our confession and he sets us apart as being belonging to him, and he, we are formed in His righteousness, and we are being conformed to His righteousness, that we condemn the world. Yes, God made it, and He has a reason in it. Yes, He placed us in it, and yes, He rewards those who are in it who, who diligently seek Him, but ultimately, He's condemned this world. To condemn the world because of sin. We were not created for this world. Yes, we lived in this world, 
And yes, you might say, well, originally we were created for it, but when it went on its own rebellious path, God very clearly set a resurrection in the middle of it, a salvation in the beginning of it, so that there would be a day in which we would live in a world for which we were created. Not a world of sin, a world of righteousness. Man, men and women were not created for the marring that we live in today, for the pain and the oppression and the vileness and the sin and the rebellion and the greed and the lying and the cheating and the brokenness. We were not created by God for this human experience. We were created for a righteous human experience. And so as we come to Jesus Christ, as we obey Jesus Christ, as we are born again and made new and we begin to live out that newness, we condemn the world in, in a way like unto but different from Noah. Noah condemned it because he simply believed what God had promised, what he didn't fully understand yet, but he believed God began to build that ark. And the building of the ark was a condemnation to the world saying that God is not pleased and He's going to destroy it. And ultimately He did do that. We have a much fuller knowledge. We have a completed salvation. Not a fulfilled, that is. That is not, maybe I want to make my words clear here. We have a fulfilled foul salvation that in Jesus Christ, God has already done everything He's going to do. I guess I might say he, it's completed at the end when we go to be in His presence, either individually when we die or when we go at the end of time. Uh, that's when it's f completed, completed being the idea that it's all done. And we now are taken into a world of righteousness. But, but Noah condemned the world by what he did. And we, in one way, by how we live, condemn the world. We say to the world, no, we weren't created for this. No, this is not what God intended. No, I will not accept that that is humanly acceptable in terms of righteousness. That God wants something different. So we are salt, we are light, we are truth. So we condemn the world at one at one way, just like Noah did. And then and then number six, we anticipate things to come. That's what Noah did again. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark but to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Heir of that faith that was to produce righteousness. Now in his terms, he was accredited for righteousness for believing God without all the other knowledge that would come down the corridor of Plath, the, the corridor of, of life in, in history. And so based upon the coming of Jesus Christ, back in, projected back to cover Noah, he was counted as righteous as well. So he anticipates the things that are come. And then number seven, they look for the world that God has made. Look at verse 10. I will read from verse 8 on. By faith Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed. Obeyed. And went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And so faith in terms of Abraham and his sons anticipates things to come, but looks for the world 
that God has made. Understanding that, no, wasn't created for this one. There's something greater. God's made a promise to me, Abraham, that I can believe. I know I may never see all of it. In fact, I won't see most of it. In fact, I'll see very little of it, but I believe God. Because I'm anticipating a world that God makes. Number eight, we show that we are strangers in this world. Let me just continue reading uh, in the Abraham passage. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, God, who made the promise. There it is again, the promise. And so from this one man, as, as good as dead because of his age, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were living by faith. Believing God, believing what He asked them to do in their own way, believing in their own context, believing God in the midst of their own context. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Ah, they finished faithful. They didn't waver in their convictions in the middle of it. They finished faith faithfully even at death. They did not receive the things promised, all of them. They received the promise of the promise, but because of their time and epoch in history, they merely received the promise of the promise and a slight glimpse of it, but they believed God in the thing He asked them to do. But they didn't receive the promise. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. You see, they, they, they understood the context around them was not godly. Nothing in it. Some of them were wealthy, some of them were powerful, uh, some of them were highly blessed by God, some of them suffered, as we're going to see in a minute. But they all understood that this world was not the one God made, that it had been destroyed by Satan and by Adam and Eve, choosing the Satan, satanic deception over the original promise of God. But even in that failure, God had a promise to restore. And so this world is a history of restoration for a world of righteousness in which we were originally created. And so they admit by the way they live, we're just strangers and aliens and pilgrims. We'll participate in it. We'll enjoy the things that God gives to us. We'll enjoy marriage and we'll enjoy family and we'll, we'll enjoy the good fruits that He gives to us. But we'll never let that define who we are or why we're here because that's not what we were created for. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. Ninth, he says they show that we show that we are looking to a better place, a heavenly place. And that comes in verses 14 through 16. So we'll read back in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners, indeed strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared 
a city for them. And so they show that they're looking forward to a better place, a heavenly place, a God-provided place. This God-provided moment is an opportunity, but it's not the God-provided place that God made when He created Adam and Eve in the garden. This one is distorted and marred, and it's one that God will destroy someday. And we have bodies that will die so that there can be an inheritance of the city that God has prepared, one of righteousness. And then finally, number 10, they obtained a better resurrection. And that's all the way down in verse 35. <clears throat> Look at, listen to what he says in verse 35 as he's already now moved on from, from Abel and Cain, from Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and the other patriarchs and moved real quickly through generations of people uh, who, some of whom suffer, who, some of whom uh, experienced great power and victory and, and wealth and many of whom uh, suffered great persecution and difficulty. And they just barely escaped the edge of sword or maybe they didn't escape and they were killed and they lived in in, uh, in goatskins, and they lived in holes, and they were made fun of by the world. But in 35, here, listen to what he says. He says, women received their dead back from the raised again to life. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. And that's what they were after, a better resurrection. Now, faith is, therefore, believing the things that God has promised assurance of the things hoped for. Because he who made the promise doesn't lie. And because we've seen enough in the orchestration of history and in the creation of the world to believe as much as he wanted us to give us to be able to believe. It was more than enough. And we have a conviction, faith is, a conviction about the things we've not yet seen. And that's what the rest of the chapter is about. Those who believe that he made the worlds. Those who bore witness to righteousness, those who were pleasing to God, those who uh, realized that He rewards those who seek Him, that by their lifestyle they condemn the world, that by their lifestyle they anticipate things to come. They look for the world that God has made. Therefore, they are strangers and pilgrims in this world. And that they show by their life they are looking forward to a better place, a heavenly place. Because ultimately, whether by life or by death, they want to obtain a better resurrection. Now, the shocking thing to this is really in, in the last verse of the chapter. And that is that all of these dimensions seen in others who have gone on before us remind us of God's sovereignty over time and for our benefit. Listen to verses 39 and 40. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect, would it all be that it would all be brought to its intended end. God has a promise that marches down the corridor of human history and will not be completed until the last person that he is calling to himself responds, the church is complete, and the end of time marches to its destruction. 
Faith is believing God for the past, the present, and the future. Endurance demands faith. God demands that we walk by faith. And He will offer nothing more than what He's already offered. That I am out in front of you, believe me. That you are my workmanship, created in my Son, Jesus Christ, for good things that I want you to do. And I have already not only worked, I've already not only ordained where they are and what they are, I will orchestrate your walking in them. Walk by faith. So, Father, we say thank you for these inspiring words, and we thank you for these people, most of whom did not possess anywhere near as much as we possess to be able to believe you. But they believed you because they were seeking for you, because they were just pilgrims, because they knew there was a better place than this one of destruction. Thank you for that. And Father, help us to be those, if we go before you, return in your Son, Jesus Christ, to be those who die in faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.